Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. You know, and this is really, really controversial. We can survive without carbohydrate because we, we can create it ourselves. Now, it's not, it, well, it doesn't mean to say we've got to survive without it. You know, we can consume it and most of us can cope with it perfectly well. But for some people, they maybe, they actually function better with less carbohydrate and more fat. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. My guest is the amazing Susan Wood, who is a UK registered dietitian and has been working for over 37 years in clinical practice, predominantly in the NHS and treating a wide range of pediatric and adult conditions. And today we're going to be talking about the ketogenic diet in all its various forms. In 2008, the referral of one young adult for the dietary management of drug-resistant epilepsy sparked Sue's interest in the ketogenic diet therapy. And since then, she's been pioneering the development of adult treatment protocols in the UK and raising a awareness of the dietitians and adult neurologists to potent, to the potential that ketogenic dietary treatments can offer to adults. I first came across Sue's work when she lectured on my Masters of Nutritional Medicine program uh, early this year in 2020 and I was just kind of blown away by the open-mindedness of Sue, um, how knowledgeable she was, uh, how up-to-date she was in the research and just how passionate she is about accepting that yes there are some issues with the way the keto diet is portrayed in the media but fundamentally it really does have some significant benefits that warrant further research and further attention as well i think you're going to find this podcast uh, a real uh, introduction into the power of keto diets um, but a, a responsible uh, podcast with the way in which we discuss it as well. I, I think initially I was treading around the subject with some trepidation 
probably because of my lack of experience with it uh, and my lack of understanding. But Sue's really put me in a trajectory to, to understand a lot more about what the benefits of uh, keto are and the limitations to in today's podcast, we talk about Sue and her background, uh, the definition of what a keto diet is, the various forms, the uses beyond treatment refractory epilepsy, and you'll understand exactly what we mean by that terminology as well. We talk a bit about uh, brain oncology, so brain cancer and, and cancer ch- uh, tumors, um, and uh, what the wider applications of keto could be as well for multiple sclerosis, uh, dementia, um, a bit about uh, diabetes and glucose management, um, and also the mechanisms that are uh, potential ways in which the keto diet works. Um, most people think it's just about the production of ketone bodies and the regulation of glucose in the blood that's kept very stable, but actually there's a lot more research looking at how keto bodies and and the actual diet can actually implement changes to the way your genes are expressed so it has epigenetic effects as well as changes to the microbiota which we always love to talk about on the doctor's kitchen podcast as well Uh, we talk a bit about um, the ways in which people can introduce uh, ketosis um, and i think just sue's uh, really um, a proponent of actually giving people the opportunity to explore uh, these diets for themselves. We're all adults. We all have responsibility for our own health. And I think armed with the proper information uh, is the best way to have these sorts of conversations. I really think you're going to find this uh, interesting, even if you've never heard of keto before or you've heard of it before and you you know, you know, weren't interested. I think this will give you some perspective on the clinical applications. If you want to find out a bit more about um, uh, keto diets and you're a patient, um, I would highly recommend you check out matthewsfriends.org. It's a fantastic organization that Sue is part of. Um, and uh, they do some fantastic work as well. It's similar to uh, the Charlie uh, Charlie's Foundation, I believe, in uh, the US. Um, so matthewfriends.org, uh, check that out. And uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the podcast. As I always say, one last thing, give us a five-star uh, review if you enjoy the podcast and do subscribe to the Doctor's Kitchen uh, com. The newsletter gives you two weekly science-based recipes and the recipe I make for Sue. I made a two keto recipes on today's podcast will be found on YouTube. Go check it out. She really did enjoy it. Enjoy the podcast. So tell me a bit about how you got into dietitian because you've been in dietitian you've been well I've been a dietitian for for yeah for a very long time for about Mm. 37 years so 37 um, years yes so um what is your secret (laughs) (laughs) wow so um yeah so that's it so I um I studied at Surrey you know where you're doing your master's I studied at Surrey and uh and interestingly when I was studying in my final year um there was a lot of interest in ketones and that's back in 82. So we're talking about a long time ago because of course they've always been part of biochemistry and metabolism. You know, they, they're a natural component within us. So, um, so, but there was a lot more interest in it in terms of therapeutic aspects. Um, but it seemed to sort of die a little bit. I think they sort of fell out of favor because at that time there was an upsurge in the interest in, um, fiber. 
Definitely. But also, you know, fibre was, was, was gaining a lot of interest in terms of research terms. And also, um, the fat heart hypothesis okay. yeah. was emerging. Mm. And, and in a way, probably those elements, um, because they were sort of more novel at that time, you know, they were really coming through in terms of driving research and, and research was wanted in those areas. And I think probably ketones just sort of fell a bit by the wayside yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, and so I came back. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't think about ketones at all mm. until 2008 when um, a patient was referred. I was working in community um, hospital and we had a referral from the neurologist that did clinics at the hospital for a ketogenic diet. And, you know, we didn't do ketogenic diets. You know, that wasn't part of our clinical practice. It's, we knew it was done for children, but not for adults. This was an adult. Yeah. So... Um, after trying to um, refer the ref- referral on yeah. <laughs> and avoid dealing with it, yeah. um, finally it came back because, again, the, the referring on didn't work. Didn't they weren't work. going yeah, to have yeah. it. And so, um, so I decided to take a look at it and see what I could do. And just on the basis that, well, you know, they, there was no going to be able to help them. So if I could just have a crack at it, it might be okay. Mm. And so I started investigating the possibilities for adults particularly um, and really struggled to find other people involved and um, finally met up with a colleague in London who was just trying to get you know get started really and treat uh, some patients so there was a few people just starting at that time really thinking about adults and trying to develop it for adults and most of the information I managed to gather really came from abroad maybe from dietitians in South Africa or in America oh, right, okay. um, so I linked across the world really with other people who are interested and um and yeah and and adopted also elements from from pediatrics Mm. you know that's all we had to go on and and just started like that so it's been a very slow um development really in terms of accessing or being accessible to adults really really slow Um, but there is much more interest and interest has been has been developing over the world you know over the last eight ten years for adults certainly it's been accelerating mm, absolutely i've seen definitely mm. i mean one of the slides you put up was the acceleration of the number of publications papers, looking yeah, at ketogenic absolutely. diets as well yeah so but by the time you started looking at, at it for adults had it been mm. pretty established in the pediatric literature at that point yes or? absolutely and um and services i think what really made the difference was that in 2008 there was a randomized controlled trial published and um, that was actually work that was carried out at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. Oh, right, okay. And so that was the first um, RCT within the world of paediatric okay. um, ketogenics. Right, okay. I didn't and realize that. endorsed its effectiveness um, as, as, a, as a means to manage drug-resistant epilepsy in children. So that, was a re- that really was a landmark study. Um, it, was, it was brilliant. And that's made a lot of difference because... Um, you know, you know from the medical world that you know if you've got a, f- a really robust trial evidence, then you can actually it can it can endorse the the funding for services. You know, you can actually then develop services based on that. Um, whereas if you don't have robust published evidence, if the trials haven't been done, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that somebody hasn't done the trial in that way then you you really can't you know you can't justify things you've got to have that level of evidence so so pediatric services have certainly expanded 
you know, since that time, slowly, but latterly more rapidly. I was going to say, um, it, it does yeah. seem slow because it's something that I think a lot of, um, especially uh, primary care physicians would be pretty unaware of at this point. Yeah, now. and I think that what you've also got to realise is that it is very much rooted within um, management of drug-resistant epilepsy. Yes. So, yeah. And that's what the trial endorsed. So it wasn't endorsing any other treatment of any other condition mm -hmm. it, was it was it was the treatment of drug resistant epilepsy in children and so the the services that we have really exist in all our children's hospitals up and down the country and in ireland um in northern ireland scotland england and um also um so it's really, it is really just focused in those areas and it really is a neurology-focused, epilepsy-focused treatment. So there hasn't been expansion to other areas and there really hasn't, there hasn't been crossover, a tremendous amount of crossover into the adult sector. Yeah. And so that's where it's really locked into a really quite a narrow area and that's why it doesn't come out into primary care unless you've got a child who you've referred in, they're in tertiary care for their complex epilepsy. Yeah. They may end up on ketogenic therapy as part of their management program under their neurology team, their specialist neurology team. So it's quite specialised. And do you think um, patient interest in this is really driving um, a greater awareness in the clinical community? Um, do you think it's patients essentially going to the doctors like, you know what, I've yes. heard about this through the grapevine yeah. or through Google. Um, yes. I want to go on it. Yeah, and I think probably um, it's turned a little bit within paediatrics because whereas in the early days people might not have heard too much about it and it would have been introduced maybe by, the, by their neurologist, people often know about it now, certainly know about it within the epilepsy world. Yeah. And so it wouldn't be a surprise if they were, um, they were actually, it was recommended that maybe they would like to explore it. But it's not used as a first-line treatment. It's used when, um, when the individual has actually failed, um, failed medication. So generally, um, the guidelines state that first-line drug, inappropriate dose. If you fail that, second-line drug, appropriate dose. And then after that, so really you need to have failed two medications, appropriately selected medications, at appropriate dosages before you would then be considered to be referred on for right. ketogenic diet therapy in a child. Now, we are ch that's changing a little bit in certain specific epilepsy conditions. You might start it earlier, yeah. and we now treat more infants within the ketogenic world. You know, we're now realising you can actually start it quite early on. Yeah. Um, and certainly it would be a first-line treatment for a condition called GLUT1 um, deficiency mm -hmm. disorder. Um, because you really have got to find a way of ensuring that that brain has got fuel <laughs> and that condition obviously means that glucose can't get into the cells mm. so you really do need to supply that that different fuel and is, ketones are that fuel and is there ever a scenario or a healthcare system where it has become first-line therapy for epilepsy or is it always post um, it, within the drugs? within the clinical ketogenic community mm. which is a very small community but connected worldwide um it's unusual for it to be first line um i would say that in the states occasionally it is mm -hmm. um because they they operate a different health system there yeah. but it's still not it's not necessarily it, and, and I don't necessarily think, it, you know, as, even as a dietitian who knows that it works, mm. um, I think that um, it's not necessarily the right thing for everybody at all. And if one um, 
maybe if you can try one medication it works and you don't get side effects from that medication that's that's great yeah. that's great um, but if you are taking drug after drug or building up a number of drugs you're getting side effects from those medications then really those individuals ideally need to be offered the opportunity if they wish to explore this uh, and, and one of the fabulous things about it is that really it only takes about three months to know whether it's really going to work or not so you don't have to be doing this for about a year or two and wonder whether it's going to evolve it's a pretty rapid process when you start switching the fueling in the brain, you sort of start to know whether it's going to have an impact or not. So yeah, it's really not too long. So yeah. we should probably describe what the keto diet yeah, is. Actually. That might be an idea, yeah, yeah. right? Because so, we're wittering on about yeah. like keto and actually its applica uh, applicability. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, there is a bit of miscommunication about yeah. because the number of times I've been approached by uh, both colleagues and patients and said, "I'm on a keto diet." Yes. And my, my initial, and I shouldn't really, but my initial thing is like, I really don't think you're on a keto diet because yes. that is a very strict diet. Yes. That you have to yes. you know, use different parameters and, and little testers to, to know whether you're actually in nutritional ketosis yeah. or not. So um, why don't we talk about what okay. keto diet is? <laughs> so I would say that what I would do is probably define them as some um, medical ketogenic diets, which are very, very precise. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, that would be what we would class as the treatment that we use within epilepsy. So, again, very meticulously modified, um, rigorous control over the macronutrients. So rigorous control over the carbohydrate. Generally, it is going to be lower than 50 grams of carbohydrate. Uh, and readily, it may be a lot less than that. So rigorous control of carbohydrate. Often there may also be control over protein as well. Um, and of course fat. So, you know, we often have total control over all those macronutrients. Um, and so generally when we consume less than 50 grams of carbohydrate or so roughly, then that will, in many of us, trigger a state of starting to create ketones. So a ketogenic diet actually is quite a loose term because actually um, for you, you may start producing ketones even if you reduce your carbohydrate to 60 grams a day or 50, 40 grams a day, another person maybe may not start to produce ketones till they get down to sort of maybe 30 grams a day if they're trying to do it just with the diet. So it's, it is a bit of a way, it's a loose term. So I think probably I'd rather differentiate it between, you might say medical ketogenic diets where you've just got really precise control over the macronutrients and you're trying to target yeah. symptoms. Um, and so there is, there is quite a range. And although um, we, I think probably what you were referring to when you were talking about the sort of meticulous manipulation was the classical ketogenic diet, which is really the approach that started in the 1920s. You know, that's, and we're still using that regime today. Yeah, because I wanted um, to ask you about the history of the keto diet. Yeah, it actually goes back a lot more it, than people actually realize. That's right. Yeah. So this treatment really evolved um, when, it, when, we were, when it became known and again it's been known for a long time that fasting can often calm seizures um, and so by fasting we now know quite readily that of course that starts to create ketones um, but fasting so initially they found that fasting patients would stop seizures so but you they realize that you can't just fast somebody forever you know you are going to get malnutrition and eventually die so you have to find another way of replicating the chemistry that you're generating by fasting somebody 
And that's how they started to evolve in the 1920s. They started to find ways of actually manipulating the macronutrient intake so that you could create ketones. Mm -hmm. And that's where this classical regime evolved, where you actually deliver the fuel, which is your protein, carbohydrate and fat, in this sense of a ratio. Um, and so you actually look at, and certain, some of the ratios were quite high ratios, so maybe four grams of fat to one gram of protein and carbohydrate combined. Mm -hmm. So you've got a very high fat intake, perhaps even it's going to be 85 to 90% of your fuel or your calories is coming from fat and the remaining is coming from your carbohydrate and your protein. To, to give an image to the listeners of what that four to one ratio looks like, mm. can you describe, because of what I'm cooking right now probably won't, <laughs> won't fit the four to no, one criteria, no. but what would that look like on a plate? Now, well, it can look like lots of different things. And that's the, that's the intriguing aspect about this, because it is all about numbers, actually. And um, when we actually prescribe these regimes, we do give people very precise numbers to, to target. And then we give them ways of actually counting those elements. So choice lists and various ways that they can count them. So it's quite difficult for me to describe, because <laughs> the, it will depend on it's not just about that ratio, but it's the total amount of energy on that plate. So a four to one ratio meal will look different for, for you know, for say a two year old compared to a 20 year old or a 25 year old. And an important point also about these, this ratio business is the ratio is actually only just a mathematical tool. It's not a clinical, it's not a clinically defining treatment tool. So, um, the ratio does not define the treatment. Um, and when we're talking about very, very high ratios, a very high amount of fat compared to protein and carbohydrate, um, you've actually got to still manage to provide adequate protein for that person's requirements. You know, all these regimes have got to be individualized. And um, what we know is that when we start to use these rigorous regimes for larger bodies, so adolescents and adults, um, we've got to make sure that we're still providing enough protein. So these very, very high ratios sometimes don't work, so we have to just bring the ratios down. But it's, it's, it, that's, not, that's not a major problem. Um, you know, really, for everybody just to understand, it's just really that we're, we're actually encouraging the body just to utilise fat as its primary fuel. And by actually um, adjusting that, that fueling system in the body, you end up really delivering a cascade of changes across multiple biochemical pathways. And that's probably where it delivers its therapeutic effects. Yeah. So it really, it's not just about glucose stabilization. It's not just about having ketones consistently present within the bloodstream. There are lots of other background changes that occur as well it's a little bit like considering it um a bit like seeing an iceberg you know the top line is we can see very evidently that we've got changes in the glucose profile so we've got a nice flat steady glucose profile we can see that we've got circulating ketones and that's how we might monitor it and define it but behind that below the water line of that iceberg there is just masses of different things going on um it's, it's sort of similar to how I think we used to think about fruits and vegetables as just being chopped yeah. with antioxidants, but yeah. actually there's a whole bunch of other things going on when you look at metabolism pathways, yes. how it interacts with your microbiota, how it yes. changes redox signaling. Um, and I'd love to get 
a little bit more into the um, mechani- the potential mechanism yes. of action for ketogenic diets in a bit. I'm going to bring you back down to this this recipe food. for now. Yeah, yeah, back to the food. I don't so have a problem with that. <laughs> all I've done, <laughs> all I've done is I've just bunged everything in the pan. Really, yes. I haven't uh, bothered sautéing the ginger, garlic, or anything because I kind of want it to infuse into that coconut milk. Mm. Um, I've used a little bit of coconut oil. I've bunged in some some sugar snaps, some uh, red peppers. And I'm going to finish it off with a bit of cashew as well. Um, what, how do you tend to eat? What, what are your like? What are your go-to dishes? So in my, um, you know, in my sort of my own personal diet, mm. um, I do tend to certainly in the over the years that I've been involved with ketogenics, I've mm. certainly altered my pattern of eating. Oh, yeah. So I'm not, and, and I've tried, I've tried going ketogenic because I needed to know how it how how to go about Absolutely, it and also yeah. how to travel and eat as i'm traveling and things like that because that's what that's what our individuals have got to be able to do they've got to be able so to live real. with it yeah totally um, it will give you a really good perspective yeah right? that's right but uh, and uh, so no i do eat, i do eat loads more fat and I eat less starchy carbohydrate, mm. but I don't. I don't get on well with wheat, so mm. it suits me to make things like those keto rolls and various other things. It suits oh, me yeah, to eat those, those anyway. Rolls, yeah. Let me see this. Let me see those rolls. Yeah, yeah. So I completely forgot. It's <laughs> no, that's okay. You're, you're one of the. You're, you're literally the second guest has brought me some food. Oh in the wow! These look amazing. <laughs> Do you want to describe these? So, wow. so what? Um, probably the most difficult thing to for people to accommodate yeah is really this absence of um starchy background foods um and we use them as a vehicle really i mean we use them as a vehicle to deliver the really tasty things you know the really nice things like cheeses or or or, you know interesting flavors but um it's really useful to have some sort of background vehicle and also Mm -hmm. say for taking out with you if you're if you're needing to travel with food. Mm. Um, and so instead of using wheat flour, what we tend to use is we use ground nuts and seeds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as the background. And, you know, th- there, are, there are so many options now on the internet. We've got, we've got recipes on the Matthews Friends website, but there's so many options out there for different mm. ideas of how to make breads and replica breads. So, no, they're really tasty. So they use whole... I've, used gra- I've ground down whole almonds to make the flour oh, and you then make them you yeah i make oh, because wow. i'd rather make them i like the brown bit i like yeah, the, the yeah, being like brown the yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah so instead of using it, it's cheaper also just to buy your own almonds and grind them mm. so um and then alongside that i've put in uh, some flax uh, a flax mix yeah and some psyllium husk which actually gives that sort of structure to the bread because of course we haven't got gluten in there mm. um and we use egg white as well that that provides a raising and also some baking powder and a little bit of vinegar and some boiling water awesome they're they're so easy to make i mean i if i can make them they are easy (laughs) really great they look like you know the the kind of rolls you'd get in a small bakery or whatever all right this is your thai style uh, lovely with loads of coconut milk Um, thank you a spoon thank you very much hope you enjoy that it's looking lovely and colourful. That's the one thing I do say. It needs to be colourful. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And shiny too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got to have that good color shine ratio. <laughs> oh, that flavor is amazing. Yeah. That flavor is absolutely amazing. Good. I'm mm. so glad you like it. It's gorgeous. Oh, I'm really glad. I'm really glad. I'm a big fan of like Thai style food as well and the flavor mm. base. Um, actually, but use... it's not very hot. You've not made it hot, hot. No, it's no, just no. really warm. It's got a little hint of heat at the end because yeah. instead of finally chopping the chili and then mm. whacking that in, I've literally just sliced it in half, taken the seeds out and then put it in so you get a hint yes. of warmth at the back. Yeah. Um, and I've used for the first time a vegetarian fish sauce, which I oh, never wow. knew existed. Gosh. So you've got um, seaweed based, um, mm. uh, the saltiness from the seaweed, which is really like quite pungent and they're concentrated. Yes. So that for me was a new find. So I loved doing this experiment. How was your lunch? <laughs> the lunch was lovely, thank you. Really good. And how did you enjoy your rolls? I the love keto the roll. rolls. The keto rolls are great. It's a new thing. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. So I'm yeah. pleasantly surprised. And those those crackers, I, I, I'll definitely make. Yeah, um, they're yeah. really easy to do. Really yeah, easy. I'm going to have to yeah. put the recipe for that actually in the show notes. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. no, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. So yeah. we, we've talked a lot already yeah. <laughs> in the break as well Yeah. Um, about uh, a bit about yourself, how you got into this, uh, you know, how long you've been to, in the clinical uh, dietetics, the history of ketogenesis as well, in, in yeah. terms of the fact that it was there from the 1920s. Yeah, it's a long time. The, the uses beyond epilepsy i think are, are quite interesting um have we covered pretty uh, not everything to do with epilepsy but the, the yeah main I don't, it's or... difficult to say i think what i would just say about epilepsy is that it's it has to be it's not a case of ketogenic diet or anticonvulsant medications mm. Mm. it's very much knitted in with the whole lot so mm. um and most individuals who even get a good response from ketogenic diet remain on maybe one or you know a couple of anticonvulsant medications as yeah. well so it's not a se it's not separated yeah, yeah. it's part of the whole neurological care mm -hmm. um and so i think it's really important to see it as that it's part of these it's almost like an anticonvulsant but it's in food form yeah so and it's yeah carefully monitored absolutely yeah and mm. how easy is it in your experience for people to be referred now given mm. that you know it's 10 years after we had those results from GOSH, yeah, yeah. Um, to be referred into clinical dietitians with expertise. I, well, I think um, there are these, there are the neuro keto teams mm -hmm. in the pediatric uh, centers. And um, yes, children are referred in. And so the, there has been expansion of availability of treatment in, in recent years um, for children. And I think that what's happened is there has been a slight expansion within the adult sector, uh, but not sufficient. And I think there are um, there are a number of adults who would like to explore it, but they just can't get treatment. Um, they might not be classed as having such difficult epilepsy or there just aren't the services around them to be able to offer the treatment. But they really do need help with the navigation. Yeah. You know, it's it's not it's not great just trying that out by yourself you could do with having the help and navigation but having said that we have encountered people being referred to us who have had to start on their own mm -hmm. you know and then they've ended up finally getting referred um and i think it's just that it's quite tough really doing it on your own and you may not navigate it ideally mm -hmm. uh, you may not get the results you're looking for mm. and so it's really helpful to have have um, support from experts that know how to navigate yeah. and so they can get you to the place you want to go yeah. or they can actually say look we've done what we can and the effect we can't seem to get maybe the optimal effect 
because it's about 50% of individuals with drug resistant epilepsy will get a 50% reduction in seizures and Which that's is, if they have they have they have often by the time they've reached that yeah. um reached a, a ketogenic therapy they've failed many 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 drugs mm-hmm. so the chance of another drug coming along and actually having that effect mm-hmm. um well there just aren't drugs yeah. around that would do that so it's remarkable for for those individuals who 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 are drug resistant, mm-hmm. um, it can still have a very significant effect, but still it doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, very occasionally, this is really occasionally, we get people who it makes them worse. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's why it's just important to to have some guidance to navigate. Um, I definitely want to get onto the adverse, the potential adverse effects of yeah, the diet as well yeah. uh, and the, the impact on quality of life. Yes. But um, what I'm really interested in is the wider application of the ketogenic diet, okay. which we've established of different forms and different ratios yes. um, and, and how or why that might be having an effect. So the mechanism of action that we've, we've briefly touched on mm. um, I'm assuming it goes beyond just the production of ketone bodies via your liver and the stabilization of glucose in your serum. Mm. There's, it's it's really quite difficult, even though it's been around for about 100 years now. Mm. Um, the mechanisms of action, uh, you know, it's very hard to pinpoint in each individual. Um, and there are many mechanisms of action. So um, we do know, as you said, about that stabilization of glucose and the uh, provision of ketones as an alternative fueling for the brain mm. tissue. Um, that probably alters, that stabilizes the the um, the, the system, the neurotransmit, mm-hmm. the neurotransmission, mm-hmm. and and actually really just ramps up the 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 wall against seizures coming through. Um, but also, its antioxidant status, mm-hmm. um, inflammatory pathways are influenced. Um, the gut microbiota are altered. And so there's just so many different aspects. Also epigenetic. Yeah. So, you know, it's the way that genes are expressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really for each individual, it may well be that it's one thing or another thing that's mm-hmm. the predominant reason why it's working maybe for them. Mm. Um, but I think it's also important to see it as not being something very specific. It's really, it's a really base level change in the system. Um, because every single cell in our body has to have fuel. Mm. You know, we are we are just built of, you know, billions of tiny cells. Every cell has got to be fueled. And if your fueling's not working properly, or if your mitochondria just aren't functioning properly, um, then, you know, it is possible that maybe this shift in fueling of the systems may actually enable things to work better. And I think this is this, it's this really base level, almost like just adjustment in the fueling availability yeah. that is has captured the interest in in sort of broad neurological applications. Yeah, which is why it's quite interesting to see the potential applications of keto to things like, um, or brain tumors that we'll get onto in a little bit, but multiple sclerosis and a whole bunch of other fields as well, chronic pain, migraine. Um, Is there some sort of um, uh, common feature in in that you've got hyper-functioning of the cell's ability to utilize glucose. Is that something that we're seeing in different... I think that's it. It probably is that sort of... Um, when, when, when a section of the brain or when the tissue is struggling or if mm. it's not appropriately fueled, mm. um, then it just can't work properly. 
So therefore, you know, this, this possibly this hypometabolic state um, may underpin quite a lot of these. It may be a common link between some of these conditions. Yeah. Um, and so just by altering and providing that alternative fuel mm-hmm. and the, also the shifts in various pathways mm. just enables functionality to be improved. Yeah. Um, those individuals with epilepsy who get who, who do get benefits through the seizure control, but they, they also talk about other aspects such as just feeling a bit clearer, having more energy, mm-hmm. um, and just being able to, you know, just being able to have a chat with somebody or be able to play with your kids and have energy. It's all these different things. And actually, um, it's not so much maybe about the seizures, it's about the life between seizures. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point you make because uh, too often I see in clinical medicine that we judge the efficacy of drugs purely on, say, in the case of epilepsy, yeah. reducing the seizure threshold um, so, or increasing the three- yeah. uh, seizure threshold. Where in reality, we want to be looking at the holistic picture of the patient. Yes, so absolutely. there's no point removing seizures if it's at the expense of them mm-hmm. being able to do mm-hmm. you know, normal cognitive tasks or have the yeah. energy to go outdoors and it seems at least from some of the papers that we've seen looking at small numbers that people's fatigue energy levels have improved whilst Mm. being on the keto Mm. diet obviously mitigating against the other um, potential adverse effects as well no and I think this is I think it's really tough you know within neurology when when you know a neurologist is dealing with patients with epilepsy and um, it, it you have got to try and stop those significant seizures you know their seizures are dangerous particularly tonic clonic seizures um you know and you do have to try and control them mm. but it is always a really tricky balance mm. and it's very very tough mm. it's not an easy job you know because <laughs> yeah. um because you have got to try and titrate things but if somebody's carrying on having seizures do what do you do mm. um so you know i, I don't think that's an easy task yeah <laughs> but but this is where i just think that well ketogenics can just bring an element the ketogenic diet therapy can bring another element into the mix and it can then even modify those elements that we perceive are being uh, maybe the the side effects of a medication Mm -hmm. you can bring in the ketogenic therapy and all of a sudden things might just settle right down so you've still got your five anticonvulsant medications in place you might bring in ketogenic therapy things settle down mm. you've then got the opportunity um or the, within the neurology team you've got the opportunity to think right okay do we need all these medications yeah, now yeah. could we just peel them off very slowly very very slowly um and just reduce the doses so that you are just enabling just a little bit less uh, yeah. medication yeah. and and hopefully improving the quality of life that individual absolutely i think the other thing the important thing to say is that we've got many adults that we treat who are they're very much like children. You know, they've got very complex needs, very complex disorders, um, multiple issues. Um, and and so, you know, they are more like children. Um, but, you know, there are also adults who are quite capable of delivering the, the, the treatment for themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they're appropriately sort of supported, it's absolutely fabulous because they know what they're doing is, they can feel it. Yeah, yeah. And that's really exciting when a young person can feel what they're doing and they can they can really know they've got that power in their hands it's a hugely motivating factor isn't it that you've got something within the locus of your control that you do outside of hospital appointments with your neurologist or clinician um that's actually having a positive impact on your condition um 
and it, it still amazes me that um, beyond that the diet has this incredible ability to impact a whole bunch of different pathways. So we touched briefly on the on the mechanism of action of the potential mechanisms of action of keto um, having pleiotropic effects. One thing I, I think it always comes back down to the gut microbiota as well. Yes, so yes. I, I read this paper, I think it was in Nature a couple of years ago, about how the ketogenic diet might be potentiated yes. by the changing, the shift of microbes and how yeah, that creates yeah. different metabolites that can have uh, the ability to cross the blood-brain barrier and reduce excitatory uh, potentials of, of mm. neurons as well. Mm. No, it's fascinating. And I think this is a new... I mean, the microbiota component is really coming into all aspects of medicine. Mm. Um, and certainly it's now being well accepted that the gut and brain, I mean, they've always been attached, mm. <laughs> connected, but, you know, they're maybe even more connected than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that diet, and, and, and therefore, you know, we know that ketogenic diet influences the gut microbiota and affects the brain. But that means really probably all dietary changes and all diets influence the microbiota and can affect the brain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have got to think more widely than just even ketogenics. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but we do know that ketogenics may mediate, in some individuals, it may well be mediating its effect via the gut microbiota. Yeah. And we've got all these papers looking at potential mechanisms. So you mentioned epigenetics as well. So yeah. the ability of, um, I think, is an inhibitor of histone deacetylases. That's right, yes. Um, so it yeah. can actually have an impact on the way your genes are expressed, essentially mm. the field of epigenetics. Mm. But how easy it, is it to separate, um, I suppose this comes on to a later question I have as well, how easy is it to separate the be- the beneficial impact of ketogenic, uh, ketogenic diets from just looking at maintenance of good glucose levels around four to five millimoles per liter. Yeah, that's really. I think that's really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, and impossible. I and I would. What I would probably say is that um, it is quite difficult to achieve the the almost like the rock steadiness yeah. you get from a really low carbohydrate intake mm-hmm. because it's 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 about the effect that it has on the insulin levels. You know, it's about other things behind just the glucose. Mm. Um, and, and what we are aware, and this is where, you know, when, you, as you, when you're learning and, and seeing what, what's happening to patients, you suddenly think, hang on a minute, you know, the glucose of these kids, it's always like four. Yeah. And it doesn't really shift. Gosh, that might be really handy within diabetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and it, I think this is the thing. There's more to it than that. There is more to it than that. But that's a very interest. It's a very intriguing, a very interesting top line. Yeah. Very, very easy to spot and track mm. um, aspect of it. Mm. Um, and I would say for some people, maybe it's just that stabilization of the glucose, and maybe that can be achieved in a more moderate carbohydrate control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and just as I think I was talking to you over lunch, we would always try and use the lowest dose of treatment yeah. that we can manage. So. We would go in when we start introducing this treatment. We would go in with a, with you might say a, um, a low, a low level of ketone um, producing mm. diet, mm-hmm. so a low ratio diet, a lower ratio diet, and we would step it in gradually. So we want to try and achieve um, the the maximum effect with the minimum dose, yeah, so that we can actually enable them to have a broader 
access to carbohydrate sources, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, so, def- I definitely appreciate, I think, uh, the macro level, you have this like stabilized glucose, but there are all these other things going on behind the curtain, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So that's super yeah. interesting. Do, do you find like there's differences between using different chain lengths of fats in the diet? So you've got the long chain fats, for example, mm. and the shorter saturated fats uh, yeah. as well. Um, does that have an impact on the ability to achieve ketosis and maintain it? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting and really glad you brought that up actually um but yeah we've got um our dietary fats are made up of lots of different chain lengths um and there is a group of fats called the medium chain triglycerides which have got a carbon a carbon chain length of between um six to twelve carbons um and they actually are digested and absorbed in a slightly different way so therefore they can actually be transported very rapidly absorbed very rapidly directly and can be processed in the liver and ketones can be generated from them um and so mct fats can be useful um and but the way that we we do use them within within clinical ketogenic therapy um and we can either use them as a dominant component of a of an mct ketogenic diet so up to maybe even 60 percent of the calories from the diet comes from mct fats oh, right. so okay. really wow. quite high yeah yeah uh, but when you actually deliver it in that way you can actually incorporate more carbohydrate uh-huh. and a little bit more protein right. so it's 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 a very it's a very specified diet but because you've got the presence of more mct fats which are more pro ketogenic uh-huh. it enables you to include a little bit more of them what you might consider the anti-ketogenic components yeah. in the diet so yeah. you can just allow a bit more carbohydrate Interesting. But the MCT has to go in alongside everything. Okay. So it has to be so consumed as part it of It has your... to be consumed as a part of every meal or snack. So it's not a case of, well, you know, just whack it in at the beginning of the day yeah. and just eat what you like. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not like that at all. It actually has to be. So you are balancing up each meal, really, with an element of MCT mm-hmm. and and certain amounts of, of protein, carbohydrate, and long-chain fats. But but I think what's happened in the time that I've been involved with the ketogenics, which is really relatively recently, just about sort of, you know, eight to 10 years, we are really going towards a much more of a sort of a portfolio. We borrow from all these different practices and we just try and create something that, that works for that individual. So we might try using what we would call a modified ketogenic diet. So that would just start by really controlling the carbohydrate and adding in enough fat for satiety and enough fat to give enough enough fuel. But we wouldn't necessarily control the protein excessively. We'd just say moderate amounts. Um, and we may then, as we see what we get from just the initial starting point, see how things evolve, see what we're getting in terms of symptom control. But we may just say, right, well, let's just add a little bit of MCT into your meals and see if this just just amplifies the effect a little bit more. So we would actually use it as a fine tuning tool in lots yeah. of different ketogenic regimes. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Because I, I, I've heard through the grapevine that people are kind of cheating on keto by just swigging a whole bunch of MCT oils in combination with the meals. Is it actually possible to achieve nutritional it, it, yeah. ketosis with a... It is, I think where, um, and again, it depends on what you're trying to use that nutritional ketosis for. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. for your eye, who don't have problems with seizures, mm-hmm. um, you know, it really doesn't matter to us whether our glucose wanders a little bit mm. um, or we have ketones for one moment and they happen to have gone by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That won't necessarily affect us. Mm. But for somebody who has epilepsy, yeah. 
then actually um, you've got to get some element of sort of stabilization of that fueling. Yeah. So using using MCT intermittently and not using it consistently in consistent amounts um, would lead to, it might lead to it being more unstable. Yeah. But yeah, you can, if for example, an individual sort of just dropped their carbohydrate intake down and started taking large amounts of MCTs, then that would amplify their potential to become ketotic. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's, yeah. that's really interesting. It, so I think it, I think they do need to be used cleverly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, but they can be very helpful, but they need to be used as a component of, of, the, of the mix, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I, from my basic biochemistry understanding, you have your long chains and those are taken up by chylomicrons and yes, they're processed in the right. liver and then they yeah. get you know, either so converted So that's a slower, into... a slower yes. process. Mm. So the way that I would describe MCTs, they're a bit more like the glucose of the fat world. Right, yeah. So, you know, we've got glucose and starches and fibrous starches and things. So the glucose... Um, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that though but the glucose we say goes in really really fast okay so mcts are a bit like that go in and quite fast so what you also do need to have is some other long chain fats underpinning as well because if you just had all mct a bit like you know you'd be a bit sort of up and down up and down so you do need to have it underpinned with other elements yeah but it's useful very useful it can be very very useful to fine-tune the approach yeah i was going to say actually because it seems that the fluctuation in your ketone bodies of which from memory there are three main ones the beta hydroxybutyrate that's the right. acetate and then, and then the acetone well. which you breathe that's which volatile you, breathe you actually breathe that yeah. out yeah. yeah um so actually if you're required to be on this nutritional ketosis diet we'll go into the difference between nutritional mm. ketosis and ketoacidosis in a sec um but if you're having fluctuations based on the amount of mct and the amount of fat yeah. you your diet yeah and that's not going to be great from medical keto no and again i think it would depend on what you're trying to control yes yeah but what i would say is that that's that's probably not ideal for most people who are using it to control seizure activity. Because I think for seizure activity, we do seem to have to make it quite, you know, quite precise. Uh, for some people, maybe not so much, but for many, it does have to be a bit more precise. Whereas if somebody was using it for some other reason, some people with type 2 diabetes may use a ketogenic or a lower carbohydrate, higher fat, almost towards ketogenic diet maybe that wouldn't make a lot of difference to them. It's difficult to say. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you're controlling things, the control, uh, you know, within the electrical activity within the brain, I think you've got to be, a, you know, really quite consistent. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Do you notice, or I don't know if this is introduced into the regimes now, but whether um, starvation, starvation or fasting or intermittent mm. fasting has helped maintain or at least achieve nutritional ketosis in the short term or is that something that you don't really go into i suppose it depends well, on the client as well because you're dealing with kids you're not going to be able to no class. that's right but <laughs> actually and again it's a good point you brought up because traditionally these regimes used to be introduced after a fast mm. um because by fasting you what you're doing is you're just your body is saying oh hey you know there's no carbohydrate coming in here no fuel coming in here i need to start moving over to actually utilizing some fats so your body's already priming itself it's already starting to move and then what you do is then you present the body with you know a higher amount of fat very little carbohydrates so it persists in that in that movement and it becomes adapted to that process but by fasting you can actually you're really pushing that you're pushing the adaption really quite fast 
quite quickly, mm. not to get yes. used to yeah. fasting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you're moving things rather quickly. And so you are going to be, um, so children who, who are fasted and then put onto a, a, a ketogenic diet may have more, more instances of maybe vomiting, hyperketosis, mm. low blood glucose levels, mm. because you're really making things adapt very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where, because most of these treatments are initiated the training might go on in the hospital setting, mm-hmm. but they're initiated at home. So, you know, and they are walked in over a matter of, maybe walked in over a matter of days or weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're actually just enabling the body just to adjust itself much more steadily. So you're going to minimize the issues associated with really forcing a quick quick adaption. Quick adaption. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. so you're going to get away from things like, um, you know, vomiting, um, Again, hypoglycemia, we don't want the children to end up like that. So that's why it's better to actually introduce things steadily and monitor. Mm. You know, we we train the the families so that they they know what to look for. Um, They know what to look for and they know how to cope with it. So we always train them how to, if they're seeing that the glucose levels are dropping and the ketones are going up, They know that they give they give some carbohydrate. Yeah, yeah. It's just the same way as you would manage a situation within a diabetic. Exactly. Yeah, with hypers and yeah. Some, uh, but you know, if you walk in slowly, you're going to not necessarily get that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, unless we really want a quick effect, you've got somebody really seriously ill. We need a very quick effect. They might be hospitalised. Mm-hmm. You actually want to get those that ketone the ketone levels up fast. Mm-hmm. You might just go through with it. Mm-hmm. But generally, we try and walk it in. So you're minimising those effects, those adverse potential adverse effects of adaption. I think generally we need to start talking about ketones in a more positive fashion because the, the only time that I the first time I heard about mm. nutritional ketosis. I thought immediately ketoacidosis, very different, very bad, something that we see with type 1 diabetics. Um, But actually ketones are a very normal part of our physiology, something our liver does naturally. Like first thing when you wake up, you might actually be producing a few ketones more more likely as you fasted technically overnight. Um, But yeah, maybe we should probably distinguish between nutritional ketosis. No, that's right. So they're a normal part of our, you know, they're a normal part of our biochemistry. And for most of us, there is a small number of individuals who really struggle to utilize fats and make ketones and produce this supplementary fuel. But for the majority of us, we are highly adaptable multi-fuel systems. And so if carbohydrate isn't present, um, or if we have to go without food for any period of time, then we have this other mechanism, this other system that then kicks in and enables us to carry on. You know, if we were just reliant entirely on carbohydrate, um, you know, we would never, we, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be existing. You know, we would not have survived. And that's why we've evolved in that way, because we had to go for long periods without eating. So you've got to have another fuel on board. And, you know, what better fuel than what we, you know, we've got it just distributed right across our body. For most of us, we've got really reasonable stores that can keep us going for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. And in ketoacidosis is a unique scenario where essentially, I kind of use the analogy of you're sat in a boat and there's water everywhere. So you have glucose in your bloodstream, yeah. but you have no way of using that glucose yeah. and putting it into your yeah. cells um, because of the lack of insulin. And it's an issue where um, for that reason, your body goes into hyperketosis where you're essentially pumping out loads of ketones and that unfortunately leads to a change mm. in your blood pH level. Something that most medics at some point uh, in their mm. training will have come across and yeah. more yeah. than likely treat 
treated. Yes. Um, but that's very different from the levels of ketones that you get in your blood um, when you're when in performing controlled. nutritional That's ketosis. right. Yeah. And I think probably the key thing that you mentioned there, the key difference is insulin. Um, and so, um, because, because nutritional ketosis is insulin mediated. I mean, there is insulin present. Insulin is not, at, at, um, it's not abnormally low. It's not absent. Um, and so it is actually being, it is there in, 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 in the background and in control. Um, and also the difference is that the glucose levels are within the normal range. So, you know, there are very well-defined differences um, that link it to a normal physiological process rather than an abnormal um, an abnormal and a dangerous uh, metabolic situation. So yeah, very, very different. And it's really, really important that people understand the yeah. difference. Yeah, and that, um, you know, ketones are present, as you said, in all of us. Mm -hmm. And but it, as we are, but when we are born, um, you know, we are operating on ketones. Mm. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize that. And, and, and really, you know, the danger uh, at that point and colostrum that we secrete, you know, for the newborns is predominantly lipids and proteins. And, and that, again, potentiates the ketosis um, and because the brain of a, of, a, of, a, of a small human, it requires phenomenal amounts of energy. You know, we've got to keep it running. And there is often a gap between the way, you know, the the milk coming in and being able to fuel that 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 infant and that brain, so ketones are so valuable at that point, um, and 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 then gradually we become less dependent, obviously over time, and as we're fed, um, we become less dependent. But no, ketones are just part of us. Yeah, they're part of us. <laughs> yeah. They're part of our our fuel mix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm fascinated by some of the work that you've done in cancer field as well. Again, right. quite controversial area, not yes. that much evidence, but I'd yes. love to talk about the potential uses in cancer. From my understanding, we probably don't have enough evidence to say that it improves survival or longevity or you know yeah. uh, mortality rates with, with certain types of brain cancer. Um, but there may be some benefits that we can at least establish in the short term using some of the studies that you've been involved in. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's a there's been a lot of preclinical work done, mm. and and I think maybe specifically it's been um, within the brain tumor sector because that's an area that we really have not managed to find. We've not got an improvement in outcomes really for a very very long period of time, for decades. We're not really seeing massive improvements in survival. Um, but I think it's very important to maybe uh, consider that the brain tumour zone is a very big zone and um, the, the high-grade uh, cancerous tumours are at one, at one end and that's where pre the predominant interest is because that's the area where people tend to have very short prognosis um, and there's, you know, we desperately need to improve the, the outcomes. But there's a whole other area that's really relevant to keto ketogenesis and ketogenic diets within the brain tumor sector and that's that that you know individuals with brain tumors readily have difficult to control seizures and um and so this can be a really a really terrible sort of quality of life issue and also fatigue as well so the work that um that we did i i Obviously, the Matthews Friends Clinics were supported by the Astro Brain Tumor Fund um, to actually support individuals um, with dietetic support for ketogenic therapy. Those individuals wanted to try ketogenic therapy, and then we supported them to do that. So they elected to do it, 
and they came to us for help. So we were able to, we were funded to help them. And uh, what was really fascinating was um, really that quality of life aspect. Um, if they had terrible fatigue readily, they got some benefits. If they were experiencing drug-resistant epilepsy and were having seizures that weren't brilliantly controlled, they readily got benefits. Um, and so it's those elements, because those within the brain tumor community, it's known that those are difficult areas to tackle um, because they are readily drug-resistant. There aren't necessarily strategies that easily manage those. But by changing the fueling in the brain, we do seem to be able to get some good effects. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably where I would say I would say there's the most powerful, compelling reasons for trying to enable uh, people if they wish to explore it. So for symptomatic individuals, I think there's, there's great potential. I think the, there's a very big question over um, uh, the high-grade tumour area. Again, I would say, uh, from my experience of working with many, many individuals, the quality of life aspects seem to be very positive. Yeah. Now, what I would say is that these are individuals who are choosing already to, they want to do this, they're electing to do this. Um, and for them, because they are um, enabled to make those choices, they tend to be very proactive individuals. They're not just doing ketogenic diet, they're often doing a whole, a whole mass of different things. Um, and alongside standard of care, you know, um, they're not just doing diet, yeah, not, yeah. you know, yeah. it's part of their whole uh, the whole yes, sort of gamut toolkit. of things they're yeah. doing mm. they're trying to integrate everything really um but they they report doing you know doing well feeling positive and feeling well but where, what i would say is that you know this this is just not a quick this is not a quick fix for cancer and i would say that if if it was fasting and using ketogenic diets we would have we would have learned about that before now. You know, we realise well if people fast, wow, they produce a bit of ketones and they they do really well. It's not as simple as that. But I do believe that there are some individuals that might do very very well, but we don't really have a way of tracking it, and I think that's difficult. We don't know. We don't really have ways of monitoring um, the impact that you know, the whole, the whole mass of different changes that the individuals may be introducing into their lifestyle and to their, and to their diet, you know, whether they be using, um, you know, different green tea, curcumin, um, they may be using some, you know, I don't know, probiotics, they might be um, going for hyperbaric oxygen treatment, they're using ketogenic diet, they're using chemo radiation, mm, you know, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the whole pathway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we haven't got any idea. We don't really have any way of measuring well, this is, the impact. This, this and that's is the issue, tricky. I think. Yeah, I it's, think that's it's really difficult. The, the methodology by which we've traditionally done clinical trials is one intervention, uh, mm. one control, mm. Mm. And, and and looking at one outcome or maybe yeah. like a couple of secondary outcomes or whatever. Yeah. But in reality, like the, the example you've just real given, life. real life, people yeah. are you yeah. know experimenting with hyperbaric oxygen, which is essentially when you go to a chamber and you reduce the atmospheric pressures. That might, in combination with ketosis, actually have there some was, benefits. There uh, was, there has been a published um, study of, of mice. Mm, yeah, mice. <laughs> you know, yeah, with yeah. Um, with metastatic cancer, and that produced, and said, so, you know, it had an additive effect. Yeah. 
Um, so, but but really, I think we need to find some ways of of tracking, and that's where when I'm working with when I was working with patients with 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 a brain cancer, again, it, you can get very hooked up on the numbers. Like my ketones are here, and my glucose mm. is here. Is mm. that right? Is yeah. that mm. oh dear, that's that's really not. It's not as well where I want it to be, and very number orientated. Mm. But the reality is, we have no we have no way of then connecting those numbers with what's going on in the tumour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and that's where there's really, we don't have the ways currently, I don't believe, to evaluate and read, almost like read the metabolic signature. Yeah, yeah. And we need to find ways of actually reading that and reading the impact uh, and almost like getting a readout to say, well, what we're doing is actually changing components we know are relevant or doing what we're doing is not making a blind bit of difference mm. and if and that's what i'd really like us to be able to do yeah yeah but um we don't so people may initiate changes um and as long as they're feeling really well i mean that's that's the other very important thing if the, if anybody changes the diet not necessarily ketogenic diet but changes the diet significantly and they don't feel right they don't yeah. feel well yeah it doesn't matter whether they think that's the best diet on this earth it may not be the right thing for them. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really, really important that people think carefully and also monitor how they're feeling. And if they're not feeling right, they're not feeling well, they're not feeling happy with what they're doing, Mm. they absolutely have to change it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because it's not right. Yeah, exactly. And it it speaks to this whole idea of personalized medicine, which most people think of like, you know, high tech and and greater sort of um, testing, but actually it's being intuitive as well. You've got to combine that, Mm. yeah. And anybody who is using any dietary change to control any form of symptomatic issue i think it's really important that people do start by thinking right where i am where am i now what am i doing right now what what would i like to change what symptoms am i really targeting and you do need to watch that you need to really track yourself almost like diarize what's happening um, and navigate you do need to navigate but because the difficulty is you might just introduce something and think well maybe this is the right thing to do but then further on down the line you know a few months you're thinking well actually am I feeling any better am I not but I'm really finding it difficult but maybe I should stay with it or you know and that's 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 difficult then so it's really important I think to to think well, what am I looking for what do I hope for what symptoms would would actually make this justifiable yeah. this change yeah you know what would what would i class as being a a good outcome for me what's my ideal outcome what would be a reasonable outcome and um and then work towards that and if it's not working change it yeah well this yeah. is why i really wanted to chat to someone like yourself about it because not only are you up to date with the research and reading the journals and you have a general interest but you're also a clinical dietitian so mm. you're getting those first person stories from yeah. patients and there's yes. anecdotes and you realize that yeah. you know just putting someone on a medical diet isn't yeah. the be on end all and also I, th- I think we have this um we, we tend to uh, think of our bodies as very binary machines. You know, if we learn, for example, that uh, cancers preferentially use the glycolytic pathway and chew up glucose, mm. then ergo, we should go on a ketogenic diet that reduces the glucose in our serum blood mm. levels, reduces insulin, and therefore treats it as cancer itself, just as a, as a particular condition is evolving all the time and it can adapt as well. And it's different in everybody. Mm. And I think also just following on from that, it's very important to see that, you know, um, it's all very well making dietary changes. um, But, you know, 
is your gut functioning well? Is your liver functioning well? Is your, you know, is your, your kidneys functioning well? It's really, you know, um, for some individuals, it's not easy to change a diet mm. um, and it may not be appropriate at mm. the time. And so it's really important, I think, to get to get good, you know, to get help mm. um, and to talk to your dietitian um, about about diet talk and talk to them about what you've what if you've read something ask them about it speak to them about it speak to your oncology team mm. um because it may not be uh the right thing for you at all to do whatever change it is yeah, you know yeah. but you know and it's important that you do navigate the right path for yourself do you yeah. think um uh, clinicians and dietitians alike are becoming more receptive to the idea of different ways of treating illnesses, um, particularly oncology. Like I know in America, there's definitely more talk of um, metabolic oncology as a field in itself, right, yeah. where we look at you know how we can yes introduce dietary changes, but perhaps mm. even tinker with a few other uh, adjuncts to chemo and radiotherapy. Yeah, yeah, I think it's maybe a little bit slower. Well, you know, we're always slower than the US, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. That's Unfortunately, yeah. I think it's a bit slower in the UK, and um, and I think one of the difficulties, you know, when I when I encountered ketogenics, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had to really rethink my views. I had to challenge my own view of what this was going to mean. Mm. Um, you know, I perceived it was going to be um, the diet was going to be inadequate in in various vitamins and minerals, and it didn't have enough of this, didn't have enough of that. And, you know, I really shocked. I was shocked when I did analysis and thought, well, actually, this diet's really good. It's one of the best, best profiles I've actually ever analyzed. Mm. So, you know, you have to think twice about it. So there are many, you know, there are colleagues of mine, you know, working in in various sectors of dietetics who may have not encountered, had to actually maybe look at this aspect. And it's, you know, it is, it is difficult because if you're not familiar with how things are put together Mm. and where the nutrient, you know, the alternative ways of finding a nutrients, um, and also, you know, one of the reasons that ketogenic diets are used by many people generally is in order to lose weight. Mm -hmm. One of the red flags within oncology is unexplained weight loss. Yeah. So you know, you're, it's not surprising that you know if you are um, if you are an individual who has got a cancer diagnosis, and you go along to see your oncologist or even your dietitian and say, look, you know, I want to do keto diet. It, they may just think, oh my god, you know, they're going to lose loads of weight. Yeah. And they're going to really become very unwell. And 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 if you if you do it and don't put in enough fats, mm. you will lose loads yeah. of weight. You know, yeah, you yeah. may not feel very strong. Mm. You may not have the energy. Mm. So that caution is appropriate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, there are individuals who do go into this and do get on with it, and they do absolutely fine. So. Yeah. It always has to be. Everything has always got to be individualised. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't really broadly say um, that any dietary approach, and that could mean any different dietary approach, is suitable for um, cancer patients or not suitable for cancer patients yeah. because they're everybody's different. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got all sorts of different types of diagnoses. You've got different types of people, different age groups. So um, it's very mu- very important to take this down to that individual situation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. understand the needs of that individual. And uh, it might be fine for them, but yeah. the next person, it may be totally inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. I- I'm glad we touched on that because I think it's slightly a controversial area where we essentially sacrifice everything for maintaining weight. And for those, for a lot of patients, and this is frustrations that have been relayed to me from Mm. cancer patients that 
all my dietitian wants to talk to me about is maintaining my weight yes. by any means necessary. It means eating whipped cream, it means chips, it means anything. They mm. just want me to maintain weight because mm. the evidence shows if you maintain your weight, you have better clinical outcomes. Yes. Whereas with a keto diet, even if you're doing a keto diet well, you can yeah. still lose weight. Yeah, initially, I would say initially, some mm. people and certainly those individuals that I've worked with who um, might be doing it for their, their brain tumor, mm. um, I'm, I'm just trying to remember the numbers, but you know, not, I think about 60 to 70%, maybe even 80% did lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Most of them were quite happy with that. Yeah, yeah, and this sure. is the interesting thing you see, because actually, if you think about, you know, we just basically, we are a nation of, we tend to be more overweight than yeah. underweight. Mm-hmm. You know, there is mm-hmm. that issue. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit of a conflict really, because mm-hmm. you know, most of the time we're trying to get everybody to lose weight yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden we've got a dietary approach that might help some people to lose weight effectively mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily want to use it yeah. because it's ketogenic yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no i think it's it's it and this is where i think it's the individuality situation so and also we haven't we have we are fearful of including extra fats in our diet mm, mm. um you know that's been ingrained in the population mm, mm. um and in us you know as a dietitian again mm. i had to go through that sort of change in my approach and really just see things as macronutrients and we just need fuel mm-hmm. so if you're removing the carbohydrate fuel and you don't want to lose weight you've got to add another fuel to the mix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the absolute perfect fuel to add to the mix is more fat. Mm. You don't want to add more protein. Mm. We don't need more protein. Mm. We have ample protein. And certainly, um, you know, within this ketogenic world, we don't want excess protein either. So, um, but fat is perfect. That's exactly what we need. Mm. So it, it's difficult sometimes for some individuals because they think, right, I want to do ketogenics. But then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I've got to start yeah. adding fat to yeah. my meals. Mm. And I'm really worried because I think fat's going to cause my heart to, mm. you know, and mm. all this conflict. And I think, um, so probably that's the reason why we have this issue now. Yeah, yeah. Because people don't see them as evens. You know, yeah. this is just a different form of fuel. Um, they see them loaded with this, that's bad. Yeah. Fat's bad. Mm. Carbohydrates are good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Nutritional science is much, much more complex than that. Yeah, yeah, I think we need to start being less binary about it and actually appreciate that when someone is on that different a macronutrient mix, their internal environment is completely different and your body yes. functioning functions in a completely different way. Yeah. In an environment where your insulin is low and your glucose is stable and you're fueling your cells using mm. ketone bodies, it's a completely different state of, of different environment climate. rather than like a high carb, high poor saturated fat diet as yeah, well. Yeah, no, it's very, very different. Very different. Mm. And I think the key thing is that lowering the carbohydrate because, mm. the, you know, the, the, the reduction of the carbohydrate does that underpinning, that massive background change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fat is just there as a fuel. Mm. You, you know, that's just your fuel. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you need it there. Otherwise, you are going to, the body doesn't matter. You know, if it's in that, if it's been switched, mm-hmm. it doesn't really care. It needs to use fuel. Mm-hmm. So if you put it in from the outside, it'll use it. That's fine. If you don't put enough in from the outside, it'll start using its bank and you'll lose weight. But, you know, um, in, in medical ketogenic therapy, this, we can we can we can apply this to infants. We can apply it to children. Um, we can still get them to grow. 
we do think that they don't maybe grow in height as well as they might okay. on ketogenic diets. Mm-hmm. And that's why we don't often use, we may just use them for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't keep them on them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, but, but we can, they can grow, they can grow perfectly well. And with adults, you can actually maintain weight. So often people might lose, initially might lose a kilo or so, maybe a kilo and a half, couple of kilos. And they all, their shape often changes. So often their waist shrinks. Shrinks, yeah. Um, so their actual body shape might change, but their body weight might not change an mm-hmm. awful lot. Um, and and it's perfect. You're perfectly able to maintain your weight, but you do have to then you have to have en- enough fat fuel yeah. to keep your weight up. This is a great segue into the adverse effects of right, yes. diet because I feel yes. like yeah, we've we've promoted the benefits. No, of absolutely, it and, and we have to stuff, talk yeah. about the yeah the, the downs. That's yeah. right, so the, the potential aspects. downside of which there are many different yeah. you know types yeah. of things that we need absolutely. to think about. Absolutely. Mm. So one thing, and again, I just um again, I just had a call before I came in to hear one of my patients had got a little you know this is a little child um, has renal stones, and right. this is a this is exaggerated or the risk is exaggerated on ketogenic diets um and so it may well be that that individual already has a you know a tendency uh and it would be exaggerated in somebody with profound disability who maybe is not drinking that well Mm -hmm. or is is fluid limited um not mobile you know there are other risk factors Mm -hmm. but yet renal stones are a downside Mm -hmm. it doesn't affect everybody but it is a risk and so it's really important when we're using medical therapy, we would normally always check. We do biochemical, full biochemical profiles before we treat the individual and they're checked regularly every three to six months. And we would, in some children, you may even do renal scans. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll just do um, an ultrasound to check that. The, Regular. That, yeah, 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 you might do. Mm-hmm. Um, or if somebody has got a, they've, they've had a risk uh, in the past or they've mm. had a stone in the past you might do regular scans mm. and there are certain drugs that might increase the risk as well mm-hmm. within the epilepsy field so those individuals we'd be much more, much more cautious yeah. 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 so yeah renal stones that's mm. that's something that individuals get and i have i think um over you know over 100 brain tumor patients probably at two uh-huh. um develop renal stones as a result right. of their diet yeah yeah, yeah. and the most more definitely com- the more common ones that you see i'm assuming are related issues yeah um, and again that's that's an interesting about maybe about half may get a degree of constipation okay um it, it varies but yes generally you can imagine why because there is this massive mm. change in in the the microbiota and that probably d- drives this change within the mm. the, the bowel frequency mm, mm. and constipation is probably the most common mm-hmm. aspect um uh, with occasionally individuals might get diarrhea and again that may be associated with other elements maybe if they're having if you're introducing MCT and they're just building yeah. up tolerance there may be more issues like diarrhea yeah. but yeah maybe get altered bowel habit definitely yeah. and um, we always try and preempt that we always talk a lot about bowels mm-hmm. <laughs> we never stop talking about bowels yeah. as dietitians we always talk about bowels yeah. um, but you know we're, we're preempting it so if you've if you're starting with an individual that has already has a tendency to constipation, then you absolutely try and make sure that they're already mm-hmm. on something that's helping them to to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would incorporate, try and incorporate things like maybe flax into their diet, mm-hmm. um, plenty of green vegetables, and just try and get get as much um, fiber and fluids in as well. Yeah. Um, to try and just keep things going. So yeah, we always preempt, try and preempt that. Mm. Um, I have had individuals who 
and this is again I'm talking about adults mm-hmm. um, who have had massive improvements in their gut symptoms. Oh. They had two gentlemen who happened to be uh, individuals who had brain tumours who had massive transformations in their um, their basically they had they had severe reflux. Um, and so when somebody has got severe reflux, you do think, mm, gosh, you know, I wonder whether this is going to be okay. Now, those two individuals actually resolved completely. Oh, wow. And that's unusual. Yeah. You know, you'd think, that's just not right. Surely that's not right. But what I was suspecting was, it could well be that for those individuals, um, the introduction of the ketogenic diet actually excluded something from their diet that was causing them a problem. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they... Um, so whatever it was that improved and that was a real shock because you don't expect somebody to stop you know having reflux but for them it was amazing you know they just had it for years and they just felt so much better because they could sleep better you know they felt better so you know it can affect the gut in different ways Mm. um you don't normally get things like issues like vomiting and problems like that Mm -hmm. i mean i think if that was occurring um you know we'd think was something significantly wrong with the approach Possibly if it had been driven in a bit too fast and there was alterations in, you know, in the, if there was very high ketones, you'll mm. get vomiting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but generally we don't, uh, don't generally get problems with vomiting. So it's more just the bowel. With adults, um, particularly on the keto diet, do you see uh, a, either an improvement or a worsening of their cardiovascular profile from a lipid perspective? No, that's, that's a very important area. And what I think, what we do see... Is, and this is part of the reason why we always do make, as part of the background biochemical profile, mm. the lipid profile is mm. very important to check. And I think it's it's there's there's a couple of different reasons why we think it's really important to check. One is because it's for the individual, for the patient. We want to see where they're starting out. But also, if you don't get a baseline and you just start picking up, you do it after the diet has been initiated. Um, you may end up with sort of raised lipids, but they were always there in the first place. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, so um, so I think it is important to see where that individual, because we're all different. Mm. We start out differently. And what we tend to see in the early stages, you will get an, an increase in the LDL mm-hmm, profile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So LDL, you will also get an increase in HDL. Yeah. Uh, and the triglycerides tend to be quite low. Oh, low, right. Okay. Yeah, low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because really triglyceride levels are more... a they're more a reflection of carbohydrates okay, yeah. than actually lipid or yeah. fat intake. Yeah, yeah. So triglycerides tend to be low and um, HDLs tend to rise, but the LDL rises too. Yeah, I, you can understand why, I suppose, because LDL and HDL are essentially trafficking molecules for your fat That's particles. That's right. And, so. and, you know, you are changing the, you're changing the, the way that, 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 that the fats are being mm. transported around the, the system immensely. Mm. And so... What we tend to see initially is you get quite, you, you do get things ramping up, mm. but then there have been papers published to suggest that by about 12 months, you tend to get things settling back down again. So there is an adaptive yeah. adaption and a yeah. settling, but we never see that, you know, when you're treating, when you're trying to treat um, a difficult, complex condition, such as drug resistant epilepsy, um, it's very, very unlikely that lipids would be as that the lipid changes in the lipids would actually stop the treatment mm. because you've got to really balance up where your benefits Absolutely. and your risks yeah. are. Mm. And the risks are not 
that high. Um, and the benefits for some individuals are immense. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so we track because it's really important to track mm -hmm. and know what's happening so that we've got a feeling of what's going on in the background. But um, if lipids do become higher, we we are not totally alarmed, and we don't we don't expect their lipids to fall into what you might class as standards. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So we just track and monitor. Yeah, these are very unique patients, and I, and I guess yeah. again to the point about individualized medicine, it really does come down to you know which is worse is it the refractory epilepsy yeah. or is it the lipid profile that shows yeah. that there might be an increased risk um what i'm really interested in and i haven't seen yet in papers is uh, low carbohydrate or even ketogenic diets over a long time period following up mm. patients to see if they mm. are at increased risk i think definitely the ld uh, the lip lipoprotein profiles can give us an indication um, and certainly LDL is uh, related to the mechanism behind atherosclerosis, but I think we're still learning mm, about whether, mm. you know, on these particularly strict regimes where they have all the other things probably optimized as well, um, whether that actually yeah. uh, leads to increased cardiovascular problems. No, and I think we've also got to be aware that there are, you know, we've just talked about all the different pathways that are, inter that are intervened, you know, and altered that don't really fit with the norm. Mm. Um, now, you could say that elements of those pathways may be disadvantageous, but also they may be tremendously advantageous. Mm. Mm. So when we're talking about the dialing down of various inflammatory pathways, um, you know, that's, that's a very positive side effect. Um, you know, and I think we just don't know enough yet mm. um there have been some longer i mean there are occasional patients who've sort of certainly the american teams the occasional patient turns up you know like 20 30 years they're still on the same regime as they were as a child yeah. and they're still here you know yeah. and they're still fine yeah. and they haven't got heart problems yeah. Yeah. um but no we haven't we haven't studied large numbers yeah. of people well enough, yeah. um you know because i suppose it's it's really quite specialist yeah they're you very know, there aren't, there aren't thousands between, aren't that have been yeah. on it for for long periods of time yeah. so i think that area we've got to realize that that it, it changes so many different aspects and yes i think it is important that people do monitor their lipids but it's very very important to look at that as a whole person's picture of where things have been dialed up and dialed down. And um, there was an interesting paper, you know, you, you've obviously got experience in general practice. Um, there was an interesting paper published um, not that long ago that was looking at generally lower carb diets within general practice, um, uh, mainly really targeting metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. Um, and, you know, again, all the aspects, all the different parameters were looked at. Um, and, and it was a very, very positive, you know, very positive in the outcome in the background. So I think we've got to look at the whole picture and not just home in on the lipids. You yeah. know, we've got to look at aspects like, um, you know, what about the, the blood pressure, you know, and and what about the other risk factors? If, if that in, I mean, most of our patients, they don't have metabolic syndrome. They don't have they don't they're not diabetic, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I think when you're applying it to another sector, yeah. you've actually got to look at all the parameters mm. and, um, you know, take a broad look at what's happening. And is it is it what you know, is it overall? Is it is it helping those individuals? And yeah. if it is stick with it certainly i'm of the perspective that of this spectrum of low carbohydrate diets where you have keto on one side and yeah. you have lower carbohydrate moderate carbohydrate mediterranean along that spectrum yeah continuum yeah. there are probably benefits to be had for individual patients along that line um and i'm wondering whether there are ways in which we can 
appropriate which part which, which patient should be along that yeah, spectrum at some yeah. point in the future using now actually you mentioning that there's there was a recent paper that was actually really um was really more talking about the um the muddling up of the description of ketogenic right, diet and yeah, low yeah. carb diets okay interesting and it was actually defining trying to make a definition because i think when you know if an individual what an individual chooses to do that's not so much of an issue but if it's talked about in academic and studies in academic publications and studies if somebody's talking about well this person was doing a ketogenic diet and this person was doing ketogenic but yeah. they were doing completely yeah, different, different diets things. you know yeah, yeah, so yeah. somebody in fact was doing more of a lower carbohydrate diet yeah. the other one was yeah. doing keto you know you just <laughs> so you've got to have some sort of standards and yeah. then there's also interest in in low energy you know low calorie mm. ketogenic mm. diets as well and that's mm. an, so you're bringing in also almost like that that deficit of energy mm. alongside the ketogenic aspect so this paper i can't remember it off the top of my head but if you know i will make sure you have yeah, the we'll details it of it because yeah, it's yeah. recently been published and just saying look we need to be clear about the nomenclature here mm. because it's certainly if we're going to be studying these things we need to know what we're studying and we mm. need to be comparing mm -hmm. apples with apples mm. not apples with pears yeah yeah, you know? yeah otherwise you're just going to get mixed data it's the same issue that's dogging the fasting world right now because yes. people talk about intermittent fasting yeah. five to alternate day and water yeah. fasting in the same breath yes. and they, they you know include that in all the intermittent fasting but they're very very different mechanisms can be similar mm, but they you know mm. the, the way you dose this is very different yeah. as well and this is where i mean these two areas they sit side by side yeah. you know fasting and and ketogenic diet mm. you know they're, they're they're sharing they're sharing the same sort of biochemical pathways mm. but there are differences and i would say what's interesting about um epilepsy is that we do find that for many individuals with epilepsy um fasting doesn't necessarily work brilliantly because they need the fuel somehow they need that stabilization of fuel so um they if they went without a meal or a snack they may be very susceptible to seizures and yet you'd think well no but surely you know fasting yes yeah. but but no for many of them but we do find the occasional individual who actually um, their ketogenic effect and their control seems to be, they seem to feel a lot better if they do have episodes of fasting, but that's very rare for us. Yeah, that's We really find that very unusual. Yeah. So for yeah. epilepsy, we tend to see that there seems to be more benefit from regular fueling, mm -hmm. but in the right, Proportions, that sort of higher yeah. fat, yeah. low carb mm. mix, mm. but keeping that brain fueled yeah. steadily yeah. rather than leaving it for long periods without fuel. I think, you know, it's so interesting because there, there's so many other things parameters that we would probably need to uh, determine as to which patient would benefit from fasting and what like what their fat stores are at the moment that's also really crucial because mm. some people you know have got a low bmi yeah um and um they it, it may be much harder for them to maintain stable ketones mm. and stable levels so really there is a risk actually mm. treating people who have got very low bmi because yeah. it they may just be more brittle yeah um so you're probably better off with somebody who has got you know they're sort of 18 and above um as a bmi you don't really want somebody who's just really i mean we can do it mm. we can do it we can get an effect mm. but it's probably harder to maintain a stable 
a stable uh, effect. Yeah, and I think there's probably some difference in the types of fats as well. I've heard polyunsaturated fatty acids have a a, a better impact on the excitatory potential of the neurons yeah. as well. So yeah. that's that's super interesting. I wanted to we could whittle on the whole time. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you specifically about the myths that you want to try and dispel around ketogenic diets because I think in the public sphere as well as in the medical mm. sphere there is a lot of fear around mm. this topic and i think that's why i really wanted you to come on today to talk about it more yeah. openly and honestly yeah. and, and talk about the research but yeah what, what are the things that actually gripe you the most when it comes to oh well i think probably the the main thing is this concept of that a ketogenic diet will always i mean i think we've touched it will always make you lose weight mm, mm. and the reality is that that's not so um, if you consume sufficient fuel, you, you can stabilize that weight. Um, and so it's just a case of actually getting that fuel mix right mm -hmm. and eating enough fat. Mm -hmm. So it's really just getting that, that, that mix. But yeah, you, you, have, you, you can find it easier to lose weight, yeah. but you don't have to lose weight. Mm -hmm. As long as you're eating enough fat, as long as you're enough fat and that's yeah. and that so that's and because you know people are fearful of eating fat that can be tricky for yeah, some people yeah, absolutely. and you know we, we're not used to it you know when you have those rolls you weren't in the, immediately yeah, going to yeah. put butter on them <laughs> yeah but that's you know you do need to keep adding that real yeah, fat you know yeah. fats oils things yeah. need to be shiny and glossy and glossy yeah <laughs> otherwise it's not right it's not yeah. right yeah that's brilliant. so that's probably the main thing yeah. i mean i think that's the main thing um and i think also for the majority of individuals, we don't have we don't have a metabolic dysfunction. The majority mm -hmm. of adults, you know, once if we got to adulthood, we would probably be aware if 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 we fasted or if we became unwell and we were unwell for a couple of days and didn't manage to eat, mm -hmm. we would know if we responded really badly to that mm -hmm. and became unconscious mm -hmm. or just unable to function. And that would indicate that you just didn't have that adaptability and you couldn't really upregulate your fat metabolism and cope with fasting. Mm. Individuals like that or individuals with, with abnormalities of fatty acid um, metabolism cannot do ketogenics. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to have a, an appropriately functioning, mm. um, appropriately functioning fat metabolic system. So I think that the trick would be, you know, if, if when you don't eat, uh, you become really, really unwell, mm. Mm. Um, then that it may well be that it's not it's not the right thing for you. Mm. Uh, when we use it for epilepsy, we or we we check the background biochemistry. You know, we check um, for urinorganic acids. Mm -hmm. We look at the carnitine um, status uh, because carnitine is important for shuttling the fats into the um, the cells for beta oxidation and and processing. So it's really you know we we have to have a functioning system. Yeah. yeah. So it is important, but. The reality is that most of us actually, we're okay. You know, yeah. we can cope with, without, um, you know, without having, without having carbohydrate. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, and this is really, really controversial. Yeah. We can survive without yeah. carbohydrate yeah. because we, yeah. we can create it ourselves. Uh -huh. Now it's not, it, well, it doesn't mean to say we've got to survive without it. You know, we can consume it and most of us can cope with it perfectly well. Mm. But for some people, they maybe they actually function better with less, less carbohydrate yeah, yeah. and more fat. I think we need so to be more fuel mix. Yeah, we need yeah. to be more open-minded to that because I, I, I think when people initially hear, "Oh, you don't eat carbohydrates," it's almost like 
people suggest that that's a blanket statement whereas yeah. actually no it's down to no. the individual and you know yeah. we talk yeah. about epilepsy and, and cancer patients and, mm. and a whole bunch of other applications mm. but it really does come down to the individual yeah. and on yeah. that note I was going to ask you if you had your crystal ball and you're looking at the future applications of ketogenic yes. diets where do you yes. think the next sort of realm of medicine is going to benefit from, from well i think that um diets. you know the way that we do things by diet means that we have to evolve the effect right so we have to get that adaption for the body then to get those ketones produced which doesn't take too long but if you're dealing with a really critical situation so if you're dealing with really a significant brain injury you're dealing with um, status epilepticus, say, you know, the brain is in a catastrophic state, um, then it may well be that we need to, uh, we need to start using some compounds that can actually deliver ketones straight mm. into the system mm. um, so that we can actually deal, deal with that acute, that acute issue um, and almost like rescue the brain because a lot of brain damage leads to this a period of hypometabolism so the so the, the cells are struggling because they just can't get fuel properly and then damage arises as a result of that so you know it's almost as if you if you can pop in another fuel as a right well let's chuck this in the mix so that the, so that the brain can keep functioning okay while everything else is being sorted out that would be great now we do have things called um ketone esters that are coming around now yeah. but they haven't really they haven't yet been fully clinically evaluated mm -hmm. and they really are being used more you might say in the lifestyle size of yeah, things at the yeah. moment um but you know they have immense potential mm. for clinical application but we haven't explored it adequately at mm. all mm. so but i would say that we do need to find ways to ideally replicate the ketogenic effect in an easier way yeah I'd love it. If if we could do it, yeah. I'd give in tomorrow. I'd <laughs> oh, be really? off. I'd be off. <laughs> but at the moment, we can't. You know, we can only do it this way. We can only get the effects we get by doing it, it longhand. Yeah, yeah. But I would love it if we could do it shorthand. Yeah. But, you know, it could well be that we can find ways for some people. They just, they just include some MCT, yeah. a lower carb diet, put some MCT in. Or there are some other... There are some fat components being evolved that might just help with that. Yeah, um, I've heard of actually some C10. carbon C10. Yeah, yeah, there's some C10 yeah. supplements being being evaluated at the mm. moment, and they may provide um, an interesting, you know, an interesting potential. Mm. But you know, I think I think we've got to find other ways. We've got to accept that fueling is absolutely crucial. We've got to optimize fueling mm -hmm. in the body. Mm. And if body or the cells are damaged in such a way that they are not fueled optimally, they are they're not going to function. Yeah, yeah. And this could be underpinning a lot of neurological conditions. Yeah. So it's not the answer, but it may be part of the exactly. answer. Yeah. It's it's using it as a component of the therapy mm. to deliver an element, maybe so that other areas can be, you know, improved. Yeah, I, I'm watching this space with fascination and It's, awe, it's really exciting. It's, We've got a long way to go. Definitely, absolutely. A long way to go. Yeah, and if people want to wanted to find out a bit more, you know, listen to this podcast that knew someone with uh, refractory epilepsy or cancers, where do you think the best sort of resources are out there? Well, in terms of, um, you know, general information about sort of the lower, the general sort of consumer information mm. about lowering carbohydrate, and having more fats, I would say that dietdoctor.com mm -hmm. is a really good starting point. 
Um, it has a lot of information on there. It's really nicely produced, nice and gr- nice and bright and graphical. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's nice and clean and clear. Yeah. It's got a lot of good, good information. Mm. Um, obviously, the Matthews Friends website yes, um, yeah. has got some background information, but we were very mainly focused on the medical ketogenic okay. therapies, which mm-hmm. is, of course, really about the epilepsy side of things. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of information, there's mm-hmm. ideas, and there is also access information to access lists of centers that are providing the therapy Mm. um you know for clinical therapy um so within epilepsy you know you can be referred to Mm. a specialist center there are Mm. adult centers there are pediatric centers when we're talking about um any other application there's very little yeah sadly there's very little yeah and so what I would like to do is enable those individuals who want to look down and want to look at specific things, they can look at them. Yeah. But we don't bring it as a like a, you know, because there's a lot of people just listen. Yeah. and they and, But if they want to really know more about certain things, then yeah. we can probably put key papers that are really informative and, and sensible. We'll, we, we'll definitely link to those in the show notes. Yeah. And um, yeah. like I said, I really do appreciate you coming down. It's been an absolute pleasure no, to listen to you fine, again for the yeah. second time. Yeah. Uh, and do stay in contact because I'd love to, you know, talk about this again and perhaps at some point, yeah. um, maybe even get some sort of like patient anecdotes or something because uh, I think the work that you're doing is underrepresented and I think it's underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the more open conversations we have about the benefits of different dietary regimes the the better it is for everyone and so this is one of my gripes within clinicians and 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 patients Mm. as well is it's easy to dismiss things yeah without really looking to it and just saying everything's nonsense whereas actually you need to dig a little bit deeper and Mm. look at Mm. you know how this impacts individuals and if people are saying i feel great on this then it warrants more attention so thank you so much for your work no that's great no thank you for inviting me because of course it enables me to talk about my favorite subject yeah and have some food (laughs) and have some food which is even better yeah being cooked for that's great so thanks ever so much thank you I really hope you enjoyed that podcast with Sue. She is absolutely brilliant. I should say that she continues to oversee the treatment of adults and children with drug-resistant epilepsy and mentors NHS teams who are keen to explore ketogenic diets in clinical scenarios uh, in in adults with, for example, status epilepticus. Um, So you can definitely find out more from her directly. I've put her contact details on the show notes, plus all the uh, references to the studies that we discussed today, as well as some extra reading materials for you. She recommends um, a book that gives you a real uh, deep dive into the history of keto, as well as the potential uses of keto. It's a book by a Mary T. Newport, who's a doctor, um, whose uh, husband sadly passed away from Alzheimer's, but she used uh, a low-carbohydrate diet um, in in treatment of that and and actually did a a lot of research in that too. Um, Just to summarize, you know, we talked about what uh, a keto diet is, the history of keto, the uses beyond epilepsy, um, and I think uh, the show notes in this particular episode are going to be really useful uh, to give you a little bit more context uh, to what we were talking about today. As always, please do uh, give this a five-star review. Sign up to the newsletter. We'll post the recipes on YouTube and we give you science-based recipes every single week when you sign up to the doctor's kitchen, uh, um, thedoctorskitchen.com. And check out the newsletter there. Have a wonderful day and I'll catch you next week.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 